Welcome to the Indigo Podcast, an exploration of human flourishing at work and beyond. I'm Ben Barron of Indigo Anchor and Cleveland State University. And I'm Chris Everett of Indigo Anchor. For more information, please visit us at www.indigopodcast.com. Today's episode is titled New Year, New Habits, New You. Yes, it is. And today in the podcast, we're going to talk about New Year resolutions, should you make them. We're going to talk about goal setting and what works. And we're going to talk about some ideas around how to create new habits, if indeed you want to do that. And, you know, in this podcast, in our work in general, we're very interested in this idea of human flourishing at work and beyond. And I think today's episode is primarily focused on that beyond part, although a lot of what we talk about today certainly could still apply in the workplace. Yeah, absolutely. This is a episode for individuals where we normally talk broadly about operating in the workplace and stuff. This is a episode just for the individual person and how they might enhance their own life. And one of our pieces for this year, our podcast has been super successful so far. We're coming into week six and we are celebrating well over 2,000 downloads. But we know that we can reach more people and we need your help. So if this podcast has been meaningful to you, if you are enjoying the content that we're creating and sharing, we need your help. We need you to reach out individually to people you know. I know that when we started this podcast, I texted pretty much everybody <laughs> in, my, um, in my phone. Uh, so individual text with a link can help. Uh, share on social media. Tell the people you work with about it and any other ideas that you have that could help boost the reach that the Indigo podcast is having. Um, reach out to us with your ideas. Go to www.indigotogether.com slash contact, and we'd love to hear from you. If you would like certain episode topics covered, we will cover them. Um, and if you have other ideas and ways in which we could boost our platform and the outreach that we are having, I know we get a lot of emails about the impact. Um, I'm thinking about the burnout episode. Wow, we got a lot of um, feedback on how meaningful that was and helpful to a lot of our listeners. So if you have, we'd like to hear from you, good and bad. And then also, if you have ideas on how we can expand the reach of the Indigo podcast, we could definitely use them. That's right. I think that's very well said. And what we're trying to do here is truly build a community of lifelong learning around all these different topics that we're trying to cover. And we want to bring you along with all of that. So please reach out, spread the word. Let us know if there's something you want us to research by going to indigotogether.com slash contact. Uh, this is an opportunity for you to really uh, you know, have us do some research and share what we've learned and, and what we know about a topic that's particularly helpful to you, perhaps. So uh, please help us with all of that. We really, really appreciate it. Right. And I think it's important to note that we aren't trying to sterilize the way we talk about stuff. We know that things are jacked up out there, um, mm -hmm. but there's also a lot of positive out there. And so we want to highlight the positive and amplify those kinds of things in our work environments and in our personal lives, uh, in our family lives and relationships. And we also want to take an honest, hard look at the things that are just messed up and how can we flourish anyway in that type of environment. Exactly. 
So Ben, uh, let's just hop to it. So New Year's resolutions, should you make them? Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Do do you make New Year's resolutions? Oh, I actually do. So I, I I haven't always done that, but I think typically I have approached the new year as a time to, you know, try to change a habit or two or try something new and try to stick with it. Uh, and usually it has to do with some personal habit. And, you know, um, there's a lot of surveys out there that, that show that most people who make uh, New Year's resolutions do so around something related to their health, their eating, their exercises and so forth. And uh, I typically do have some. Uh, and I found, and as we'll talk about kind of as we go through what what tends to work, um, you know, I found that it works best if I am very specific about things and if I actually keep track of stuff. Uh, so I do make them. But what about you? Uh, I, I hate to wait. I mean, that's part of kind <laughs> of too much agile in my diet, I guess. And um, so I typically don't well, it's not that I don't make a re- resolution. I resolve to do something, but the moment I resolve to do something, I just get started. So the mm-hmm. the arbitrary time of the the new year, I I tend to mark with uh, excessive exuberance uh, over, <laughs> you know, some kind of resolution about my personal life. Mm-hmm. Maybe mm-hmm. I should do one this year. Maybe, maybe go for it. So as of this recording, you know, you have a few days left to do that. So uh, get after it and we'll see what happens. Um, But there actually is some interesting research on all of this. Uh, And, you know, we'll put up some links in the show notes to these different articles. Um, But there's one that came out. It's a little bit of an older article. It was about 17 years ago, 2002. uh, And this was in the Journal of Clinical Psychology, looking at some of those um, predictors about what tends to work with New Year's resolutions and if they work. Uh, one thing that they cite in that article is they, they cite the statistic that between 40 and 50% of Americans do set some sort of New Year resolution. Now, I don't really know if this is an American thing or if this is, uh, I don't know if there's any international research on this. It'd be interesting for some of our international listeners to let us know if that this is something that happens in other countries very much. I haven't really done any research on that. Um, but, you know, up to half of Americans tend to do this. And uh, it, it does tend to cause some change, at least in the beginning. And, you know, one thing that this study that I just mentioned found is, uh, so I mean, basically what they did is they looked at people who did have a New Year's resolution and people who didn't have a New Year's resolution. And they followed up with them to see how, how things worked and so forth. And, um, you know, they did find that people who made res- resolutions did have higher rates of success in whatever they're trying to do. Um, And mainly it was behavioral stuff around weight loss, exercise programs, stopping smoking and so forth. Um, And that, you know, so the the resolvers were more successful. Um, But what was interesting is that there were some things that really tended to drive that success. It wasn't just that they made a resolution, but there were some interesting factors that tended to contribute to those people who made the resolutions being more successful than those who did not. Yeah, I, a lot of the research that we reviewed uh, for this episode was around resolutions resolving, you know, smoking cessation mm-hmm, and, and mm-hmm. health and those items. Um, but, you know, resolutions can be around. I know one of the top 10 was like learning a new skill. 
Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. So if you want to play guitar next year or learn the bagpipes, um, you know, those are definitely resolutions that are part of the top 10 that we just had reviewed primarily stuff around health, health related change, which, you know, 40 to 50% make resolutions look like you and I uh, represent the in statistical set there. Mm-hmm, uh, we're 50, mm-hmm. 50, but some of this stuff talks about false hopes of self change. Um, you know, you can get really pumped up. You just had a bunch of family or really good Christmas season. Um, and you come in a really good holiday season and you come into the new year with a lot of hope, you know, you're going to get that job, get the girl or boy you know, learn to play the organ. Um, Ben, what is false hope of self-change? Yeah, so this is this idea that, you know, uh, we, we typically make resolutions. Um, but the thing is, is that a lot of people make the same resolution year after year after year. And there's another study that, that looks at these things that reviews some of this research um, that was published in American Psychologist also in 2002. And what they say is, and I quote, Interestingly, people tend to make the same resolutions year after year, vowing on average 10 times to eradicate a particular vice. And so it's this idea that we keep on trying, even though we keep on failing. We commit, we fail, we recommit. And we'll talk a little bit about kind of what that may imply for us. But I want to go back to that previous study for a second uh, and, and to kind of take your example of playing the bagpipes. So this is actually a thought that has crossed my mind in, um, as years have gone on. Uh, much well, to the you want to <laughs> you well, want to play the bagpipes? Well, I, I just yeah, kind of. <laughs> but but here's the thing. Okay, so let's take that as an example. If I resolved to play the bagpipes, bagpipes, what that study that I mentioned, um, looking at the resolvers versus the non-resolvers, would suggest is that I need a couple things in order to uh, boost the probability of me actually learning to play the bagpipes. I would need something called self-efficacy. That's the idea. This belief that I can do it. That I'm physically, mentally. Uh, emotionally, whatever, ready and and able to do that. Okay. And and I think that, you know, I generally have some self-efficacy around learning something like that. So I think that, you know, if I put my mind to it, I could do it. Uh, But I'd also need some skills to change. So I'm not just going to, I I have a feeling that I could probably, you know, if I went out and invested in, in a set of bagpipes and, you know, maybe looked on YouTube and Googled around a little bit, I could probably figure out a little bit. But to build those skills, I would probably really need to, have, you know, a teacher. I would need to have some someone instructing me, helping me build those skills. I would probably also need to uh, have a regular rhythm of practice, a regular rhythm of instruction and so forth. So I need the self-efficacy. I need the skills to change. And then I also need readiness to change. I need to want to do it. Um, so, you know, I, I suppose my my readiness to change, my willingness, or I want to, to play the bagpipes, it's not super strong. I mean, because I know that they the, would probably inflict a lot of um, pain upon my family as I tried to do it. <laughs> but, and just a lot of generalized eye rolling from all of my family members about what are you trying to do now? Uh, so, but, but I think that's interesting for us to highlight. So if you're going to have a resolution, uh, you know, having some self-efficacy, having the skills, realizing that you're going to need to build some skills and really wanting it, that's going to help you um, be more successful. But now if we go back to that idea of false hope, you know, this idea that we, uh, we, we keep on making a commitment, we fail, we recommit. And, 
you know, it's just really interesting that we we keep doing this as humans. We have this idea that, hey, this time it's going to work. And uh, when we talk about self-change, I think it's it's important for us to note that, you know, in at least in this article that I'm referencing in American Psychologist, uh, you know, when they when they discuss self-change, they're referring to people's efforts to change their own unwanted behaviors, right? Not in the sense of changing the self, like your core identity necessarily, but in terms of changing your own behavior on your own, which is something we all do like very frequently, I think. At least people who are kind of thinking about self-improvement and so forth. We we all have little things about ourselves that maybe we want to change, and that certainly ties into this whole idea of uh, what we do around the new year, at least about half of us do. Yeah, and I, I think it's kind of, if you're a ha- glass half empty or glass half full person, you could look at that vowing on average 10 times. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting they use to eradicate a particular vice, right? Um, I kind of just take it as the, the glass is 400 milliliters full. Um, you know, on, if you're at... If how, you're, big, how big is the glass? Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if, if, if somebody's a glass half full type person, they're like, man, people are coming back to this over and over. And it's a story of human resilience, right? Mm-hmm. If you're a glass half empty person, uh, you might say, ugh, these guys fail all the time. And mm-hmm. I bet you they're not even successful at that 10th time, you know, yeah. a, a Debbie Downer type person. Um, but if it, if they're coming back to it 10 times, I, it just shows that there's probably some process, some of those things that we talked about earlier, like self-efficacy, skills to change, um, those kinds of things, readiness to change. Mm-hmm. That's right. And you know, the article talks about and reviews some of the different reasons why these attempts, these self-change attempts fail. And you know, one is that we just have this belief, uh, people believe, or they often believe, that we can change more than is actually feasible. We, we think that you know, this some big drastic thing uh, you know, that we want to change about ourselves, that we can just do it. Um, and I mean, that there is some optimism and something uh, kind of positive about that, but we are often at times unrealistic about it. So that's one thing. Um, we also tend to predict that making a change is going to be much faster and much easier than we thought is possible. <laughs> you know, <Right. laughs> um, and, and I can. So it's interesting because I have data on this because I actually a couple years ago I started. This is really really nerdy, but I um, I started keeping a spreadsheet where every day, um, so now I have about almost two years full of data. Um, Every day I document how much I slept the night before. And I know that there are apps and smart ways of doing this and so forth, but I do it manually. Anyway, I keep track of how much I slept, how much alcohol I consumed, my weight, and then what I did, if anything, to work out that day. And then any notes that I had, like was I sick or was I traveling or stuff like that. I do that every single day. Uh, And what I've noticed is that you know some of my goals around? And I have very specific goals, like strength goals, like what I want to be able, how how heavy things I want to be able to pick up and stuff. <laughs> and so, um, <laughs> you are of, a uh, huge nerd. I, I know I am. Um, that's, but, that's why we're friends. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, so, but I uh, I've noticed that you know I I do tend to be overly positive about kind of the 
um, you know, oh, after three months, I should be able to do this. And usually it takes like six months or a year. And so it, you know, keeping those records has actually made me better at predicting how I'm going to do. And then I look over the long term and yeah, I, you know, progress does happen. And that that's probably one of the biggest reasons why I love making New Year's resolutions and I, why I actually love um, engaging in specific physical activities because it tells me that even, you know, as I get older, I can still, you know, make my body do things that I didn't used to be able to do. And I think that's really good for me psychologically as well. Um, but we do oftentimes predict that it's going to be easier and faster than, than we think, right? Uh, we also think people oftentimes believe, and this is something again from the article, we oftentimes believe that making a change is going to improve our lives more than we reasonably can expect. So, you know, we think that uh, not only am I going to change my diet and lose weight, but that by doing so, I'm also going to, you know, get the romantic partner I want, I'm going to get the job promotion I want, and all kinds of things like that. And those things may not necessarily be true. And when those things don't happen, then perhaps we get, uh, you know, disillusioned with our efforts. Yeah, I think one of the things that, and I we did not see this in any of the literature, but anecdotally, so some listeners probably going to let me know I'm completely off the rails here, but why why are you doing these changes? Mm -hmm. You know, is this something for yourself? You know, how how lasting and sustainable as a resolution of I'm going to do this to get a girl versus I'm going to do this because it's the type of person I want to be. Mm -hmm. You know, so that, I mean, that was one thing that kind of stuck out to me. Um, I know in talking to executives and, you know, we live in a real mobile world now, you know, it's nothing for an exec to have a posting overseas for a couple of years. And one of the things is, uh, fidelity and marriage, let's say, mm -hmm. um, and one of the things that personally motivates me is uh, I don't cheat on my spouse because of a promise I made them, but it, it's a promise I made myself on the type of person that I want to be. So mm -hmm. if those resolutions are to get a job or a promotion or a, you know, a romantic partner, um, I don't know. That just kind of right. came up, up to it, my well, mind. Yeah. Sure, sure. And so I think this idea of how these things tie into our identity really does matter. Uh, I, you know, I'm thinking to some of the research on smoking cessation, you know, mm -hmm. one of the things that uh, does help people or is a big predictor of people stopping smoking is when they start thinking of themselves as non-smokers. Right. You know, so if you think of yourself that way, then by golly, you're going to be much more resistant to, uh, you know, taking another cigarette because that's not who you are. And I think that, that is a powerful way to change the way you think about things. You know, I'm, I'm not the type of person that always needs dessert after dinner. I'm not the type of person who needs to drink every day. I'm the type of person who does X, Y, or Z. That, that type of thinking um, perhaps does hold some value for changing habits and behaviors. Right. And, and lots of times people misinterpret failure, um, mm -hmm. the attribution theory. Uh, I failed at this task because... I don't know, but give a good example. Yeah. So, I mean, I could like, let's go back to, uh, like, uh, let's imagine that I, I actually did want to learn the bagpipes and I start, I bought the bagpipes and then whatever. And then let's say, you know, six months later I quit and never really learned anything substantial on the bagpipes. Um, you know, it, so I failed. 
oftentimes what we do when we fail is that we attribute that failure to something external to us. So I, I could say, well, I failed because my family wasn't supportive of me in this really important endeavor in my life, right? <laughs> or I could say, I, 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 I failed in this because my my teacher really just stunk and, you know, wasn't a good bagpipe instructor. Or, you know, I failed because... Uh, my, my job got really, I, I started succeeding so much in my job that I just couldn't handle the time or something like that. Right. <laughs> and so these are just kind of mental games that we play with ourselves when it comes to failure, which is interesting because when we succeed, we oftentimes attribute that success to ourselves. Right. So it, it's not that if, if I really succeed at playing the bagpipes, um, it, you know, sometimes I, sometimes we may attribute that externally. We may say, yeah, we had great teachers and so forth, but we could, you know, oftentimes what we also say is I worked really hard, you know, and, uh, I have a knack for, uh, picking up in musical instruments quickly. And we start to think that way. So, you know, this ties in this idea of false hope, because oftentimes we have these unrealistic expectations about the speed and the ease that we're going to pick up something or change our habits. Uh, we make some sort of commitment to change and we start to have some feelings of control in those first, you know, few weeks or whatever. I mean, the gym is always packed the, you know, those first couple of weeks of January. Um, yeah. Uh, which is why I have a home gym, but, um, you know, and then we have some initial efforts. We get some early successes, but then we start to hit some resistance to change. The change stops. We fail. We abandon the attempt. And then we make these attributions. And oftentimes when we fail, we make those external attributions. And so that makes us a little bit more uh, willing to try it again. Because if it's not about me, if it's not about my own ability or effort or skill or fortitude, whatever, then, okay, I'll, I'll give it a shot again next year or something, right? Right. And the mind is a powerful thing. And so um, we all have... Uh, needs mentally and mm -hmm. preservation of ego is a super super common one so if you're able to uh humble yourself so to speak and take a realistic assessment of things you're able to move forward in a in a more meaningful way um mm -hmm. and the first thing so when we talk about the false hope syndrome model which we'll post in the show notes um you know, we start off with unrealistic expectations. You know, we talked about that speed. How easy is this going to be? The amount of change. Um, and then that builds up that kind of motivation. So that we move from that to a commitment to change, right? And you talked about the feeling of control. Then initial efforts, early successes, right? You're just going straight down the line. You meet that resistance to change. And then it stops. And so the important thing about, you know, not to just regurgitate this model is to know that this is what happens when you mm -hmm. begin to embark on this quest. So, you know, maybe you tape that up to your bathroom mirror and <laughs> say, oh, man, day seven of working out at 5 a.m. Right. You know, oh, I'm at the resistance to change part. This is where change stops. So maybe I push through and, and don't abandon my goals. Um, and, you know, we can start to steer out of this false hope area. And you're so it's not num attempt number six or seven to quit smoking. It's um, it's attempt number six that's going to keep driving to success. Right, right. And so maybe that brings us to, you know, try to answer this question a little bit, you know, should you make New Year resolutions? I don't know if we can provide a clear yes or no to that. 
Well, and I, I hate should messages, right? Yeah. Psychologists talk about all this. You should, there is no shoulds, really. <laughs> um, you know, it, it's could you, could yeah. you change? And I think that's a message of um, personal introspection and a question that leads us to towards hope. So right. let's, let's talk about what can we do to increase our probability for change? You know, what sure. actually works? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, setting those New Year's resolutions probably won't hurt you. Um, but let's talk about what we can do to increase our probability for change if we're trying to do that, right? If we set a New Year's resolution or if we just have some part of our own personal life uh, or a habit that we want to get rid of or a habit that we want to start. And part of that uh, has to do with goal setting. Now, goal setting is actually one of the more research-based and evidence-based theories around motivation, at least when it comes to the workplace. Uh, and we do know that setting difficult and specific goals can be motivating, um, assuming that the person who is uh, setting those goals or has those goals you know, set collaboratively with them, maybe with the help of another person, uh, you know, is engaged in them and commits to them and identifies with them and so forth. Um, there's a couple things that we do know. We know that the the goals can't be overly hard, right? Because if it's overly difficult, if it's insurmountable, then we're not even going to have the motivation to try, right? It's just, you know, it's just like, I, there's no way that's even possible, so I'm not even going to try. Uh, if it is something that is too easy, then sometimes it's just kind of boring. We, it's like, eh, whatever. I don't, I don't really uh, want to try to do that. So it needs to be in the middle somewhere. And also it's helpful if your goals are not squishy ones, you know? So going back to my example of, uh, you know, stuff that I do pretty much every year when I think about like physical fitness and exercise and stuff, if I said, you know, my goal is just to, you know, to work out more and get stronger, right? That, that's, I mean, that's laudable. That's good. But uh, what does that it, even mean? Right? Yeah, what does that mean? How how do I even measure whether or not I've gotten there, or how do I even monitor my progress toward that goal? So if instead my goal is, hey, I'm going to be able, I want to be able to deadlift X amount of weight, right? That's very specific. Um, or I want to, you know, commit to exercising X times a week. Uh, you know, for the entire year on average or something like that, that helps you know whether or not you're making progress towards something. So difficult and specific goals do work. Uh, and they can also kind of set in motion the, um, you know, the process of habit change and trying to think about, um, you know, how you're going to start moving in a new direction. So it can be helpful that way. Yeah. And, you know, pull up Google and, you know, Google smart goals. This is one framework to, to think about this. I'm not saying it's the best framework, but if, if you, when we say start, talk about setting goals, you know, smart stands for, you know, it's a mnemonic that's, you know, specific, measurable, obtainable, relevant, and then T is time-based. And and, you know, if you just need some kind of model to start thinking about making those goals, that's a decent, decent place to start. Mm hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, another thing that we do know from some research on all of this, and this is from a more recent article um, 
So this is a meta-analysis, and a meta-analysis is basically where you look at a whole bunch of studies that have been done, and you try to see um, quantitatively, you actually look at all the different results together and try to see if what the, the common uh, findings are. So this is a meta-analysis of a bunch of studies on monitoring goal progress, right? So if I am have a goal and I can monitor my progress at different intervals, does that actually help me attain, attain the goal? This is an article from Psychological Bulletin um, published in 2016, and we'll, uh, we'll make, make a note of what that is in the, the show notes. Um, but this is looking at you know, this idea of whether or not um, we can uh, increase our goal attainment by simply monitoring ourselves. And I'll just cut to the chase that, you know, taken together, these the findings do suggest that uh, monitoring your goal progress is an effective self-regulation strategy. Um, you know, if we increase the frequency of that monitoring, we're going to have a, a higher likelihood of actually changing our behavior. So, you know, the, the very fact that every day, I go in and record all that stuff about my own health and behavior and habits. That helps me um, be more likely to attain goals because I'm very regularly monitoring it. And you know, you you could even do this in you know with other people as well. You know, you think about um, either at work or uh, in a group of of friends. If you hold each other accountable and you talk about how you're progressing towards goals, you're going to be more likely. Um, than not to actually make progress. Yeah, so I know when I started, you know, you get to a certain age and you can't just eat with impudence anymore. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you are older than I am. Uh, the um, <laughs> hurt feelings. Uh, the uh, I use the MyFitnessPal app, and there are tons of apps out in the healthcare, health, personal health, uh, I guess you'd say, space. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, if, if I go a couple days without logging my meals or something, and, you know, I generally, if, if the weight creeps up a little bit, I'll be like, okay, time to start monitoring what I eat uh, more intensely. Uh, I know when I get out of... Well, we call it in Park City, Utah, the the mud season. You know, you're in between mountain biking season and ski season hasn't started, or or vice oh, versa. The horror, the yeah. shoulder season, right? Um, <laughs> you know, my workout intensity drops, and I'm bored at the house because I'm more of an outdoor kind of person. And you know, my weight can come up, and then I'll say, okay, I got to dial this down. But my fitness pal. Um, which we'll put a link in the show notes if you guys are interested in and what that's all about. You know, you can log that stuff, but it'll remind like, you know, hey, Jack Wagon, you haven't weighed yourself for three days, you know, <laughs> yeah, and put a weight and, and stuff. And, and actually, you would think, okay, well, I'm just gamifying my goal, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's tons of apps around all kinds of stuff, learning guitar or all that stuff. But there's actually some data on whether that's good or not, Ben. What's the data say? Well, it, it suggests, you know, going back to this idea of goal progress and so forth, it says that it can be helpful um, to have some monitoring of what's going on and to hold yourself accountable. But, you know, the one potential implication, and this hasn't been studied too much, but is, you know, an idea that I think is worth considering and probably researching more, is that if we are relegating this whole idea of, you know, tracking things to a device, to some sort of electronic device or something, um, sometimes it, it can sometimes be 
taking us as the human out of the equation of actually changing the way we think, right? It's it's like I'm I'm checking my weight just because my watch is telling me to do so or whatever versus doing it because you actually are changing your habits and you remember, right? So you're kind of uh, relegating the effort to some electronic monitoring system, which I, I guess, you know, if it's getting you where you need to go, uh, that's great. If it's helping you, that's great. Um, but there is kind of a, a potential there for not actually changing how you behave habit wise if you're just depending upon something else to tell you to do it. Yeah. So it's like kind of intrinsic motivation. Mm -hmm. Am I, am I monitoring this because, you know, my fitness pal says you haven't input, put your calories for breakfast. You know, you ate two eggs and three ounces of cheese or, or whatever it is. Um, they get pretty specific there, but, um, or do I have to go through that mental process? It's like, I need to reflect on what I ate today. I need to, you know, have I practiced guitar in a correct way? Or, mm -hmm. you know, those kinds of things where you have to kind of go through that mental process to say, I'm actively engaged in thinking about my goals, monitoring my progress versus, oh, I monkey see, monkey do what the app says I should do, which could mm -hmm. be a decent place to start. I'm not saying go for that, but you might want to take a look if you're derailing on those goals of, you know, am I doing those internal emotional processes? And, and, you know, one of the ways we think about those kind of internal processes that go on when we start to go towards some goals is the trans theoretical model. Mm -hmm. That's right. And so this is a model that I think it originally came out of some studies on smoking cessation. And, you know, many people may be familiar with uh, some stages of grief or stages of anger and all that kind of stuff. This is around stages of personal change. Uh, so we can go through these um, somewhat quickly, but I think that this is helpful because it, it, um, it can be a way for you to think about change and some things that you can think about as you're setting goals, as you're looking at the, the new year and seeing how you're going to be amazing in 2020 and so forth. Uh, so the, the first stage is what's called pre-contemplation. Uh, and this is where you, you know, don't really intend to start some healthy behavior. Um, you're not even really necessarily aware that a change needs to happen. Um, and what's effective here is that, uh, you know, this is if other people around you, for example, um, you know, can encourage people to be more mindful about their decision making, right? So if you have someone that you know of who needs to be more aware that a change needs to happen, um, you know, helping them be more mindful of their decision making, helping them be more conscious of the benefits of perhaps changing an unhealthy behavior. Because you're not going to just jump straight to, hey, you need to change right now because um, you're just going to hit a lot of resistance there. So this is the pre-contemplation phase where you're not really ready for change. Right. And, you know, this is where our individual human psychology comes in. So if you're a pre-contemplator, right, mm -hmm. what we find here at this stage is that pre-contemplators underestimate the plus side of changing, right? Mm -hmm. And they overestimate the cons. Like, ugh, that's going to be too hard. And because they haven't done a whole lot of information gathering and don't have a holistic view, they, they actually have a cognitive distortion here, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, you're not aware that you haven't really done the research to understand the pros and cons, but you will. It's just de facto how humans operate, right? We can't think in depth about every little decision we make every moment of the day. 
you know, you'll kind of shortcut the pros and cons thinking and you won't even be aware of it because you're just at the pre-contemplation stage that maybe Mm -hmm. the need for change or the fact that you might change is just kind of floating into the periphery of your mind, Um, which leads us to the second stage, which is actually contemplating. So, you know, pre-contemplation, we had to summarize it as you're not ready for change. Right. But contemplation, you're actually starting to get ready. And And what's that look like? So what that looks like is that you're starting to think about the change. You're, you're actually intending to start some some sort of new behavior within, for example, the next six months or so. Uh, you know, they are more aware of the the pros of changing and the, you know, their cons are about equal to the pros. And here, you know, others can influence and help people in this stage by encouraging them to work at reducing the cons. Um, you know, people here... In this stage, they learn about the kind of person they could be if they change your behavior, which can be really powerful to start to visualize what that might look like and feel like and so forth. Uh, And also learning from other people who do behave in those healthy ways. Yeah. And, you know, there's a lot of this idea, um, some of the shaming type stuff, you know, if I ask my wife, you know, do I look fat in this suit, you know? Oh, no, you look great. Or, you know, people talk about in relationships with people you're imp- that are important to you, if you have some elder care issues or, or something, you know, the kind of, I don't know, accepted consensus, at least in the groups of people I, I've floated around, is just kind of let people be. They need to decide. But you can actually use this model to influence things for good in the people around you in a way that's not being a giant jerk. Mm-hmm. Right. So, you know, I think if you are aware of someone in your life who needs to change some habit, uh, I think thinking through these different phases and realizing that, hey, they may be in the pre-contemplation phase, so I need to, you know, help them be more mindful of some different benefits. Maybe they are thinking about it, so I can encourage them to, you know, think of, let, you know, start reducing the cons of changing their behavior and so forth. Um, that is really helpful because I think we all have people in our lives who, um, you know, we know of who need to probably change something about themselves um, personally. And we, the thing is, we can't force them to do it, um, but we sometimes can set the conditions or start to spark some ideas if we are mindful about it that could be helpful to that person. Right. And we all have our individual backgrounds and stuff. You know, we don't mm-hmm. choose when or where we are born and the kinds of things um, that might happen to us as we navigate this life. But we can take some personal efficacy to this stuff and say, okay, well, what can I change? And in the contemplation phase, you really start to get a educated view of the pros and cons and, and start getting ready to actually make those change, which leads us to stage three, which is preparation. Actually, you, you are now ready to change. Right. And so this is when you're ready to start taking new actions within the next 30 days. So Hopefully, if uh, you know we're rec- recording this here on December eighteenth, two thousand nineteen, if you're thinking about uh, uh, having some New Year's resolution, hopefully you are already in the preparation phase and you're ready because uh, that means that you know you're ready in the next thirty days to start taking action, start start taking some small steps uh, that they that people can think can make them more healthy. Uh, for example, um, maybe telling your family and friends about your goal, about your desire to change your behavior. And, you know, in this stage, it's important if you're trying to change something about yourself and you're ready 
you're in this preparation phase, um, you know, seek some support from the people around you. Tell some people that you trust. Say, hey, look, I'm trying to do this. And, you know, I, I think this would be helpful for me. I think, you know, it'd make me feel uh, a bet, you know, better as a person if I do this. And, you know, let them know that, hey, I could use your, use your support along the way. Yeah, and this is really getting everything lined up for success. So if it's you're going to learn a new instrument in the new year, you know, that's getting that guitar, getting the tuner, getting the teacher, getting the appropriate books, you know, having a place where you can rehearse. Um, start visualizing yourself as successful. What will what will initial success look like? What will what are the likely roadblocks and and start seeing yourself overcoming those roadblocks? You're you're preparing both mentally you're preparing the, the place and with the items and stuff to set you up for success, mm-hmm. which which will move to, you know, now you've thought about getting ready. Uh, you're, you're ready now. Now you're going to take stage four, which is action. You're going to go ahead and start executing. Right. And so this is when you need to keep working hard to move ahead and realize that you know, you're going to have some resistance. You're going to have some potential setbacks. You need to be perseverant in these types of things. And you can, um, you know, think about different ways in which you can keep up your commitment. So, for example, substituting some sort of healthy activity for an unhealthy activity. Uh, you know, maybe having a sparkling water instead of a beer while you're watching TV at night, right? Those types of things. And re- giving yourself little rewards for taking those steps towards changing. Um, it's also important in this stage to, to consider the context. So, you know, avoiding the people, the situations that tempt you to act in ways that are not uh, in accordance with whatever habit you're trying to change. You know, so <laughs> when we were preparing for this episode, we we're talking about, hey, if you really want to lose weight, um, I mean, this is kind of drastic, but a great way to uh, to do that uh, would actually be to, to move to a city where a lot of people are very fit and healthy. you know, move, move to where you are in Park City, Utah, or move to San Diego, where people have a very active lifestyle. Um, You know, the people around us do influence how we behave, right? And that's a very powerful thing. And it's important for us to consider, you know, if we're, if we're trying to stop smoking, and everybody who we hang out with, always smokes, and they're not interested in changing their habits, it's going to be very hard for you to continue to, um, you know, go down that path of not smoking if uh, you're surrounded by those influences. Yeah. So maybe you go to a non-smoking bar rather yeah. than, you know, a, a, a smoking bar. If, if smoking, it, quitting is something that's important to you and you don't necessarily have to move to another town. Right. The, the, the key thing here is there's stuff in our environment. You know, we're creatures of habits. There's stuff in our environment that gives us the cue to say, engage in these old habits. And if those are habits we want it to change and and you've failed repeatedly before, you might want to take a look at those environmental cues that might trigger those behaviors. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that one of the cool things about basic training in the military is you're taking all these kids or some older people like myself. I was like 28 when I went to basic training, if I remember correctly. Uh you take people out of their environment and you put them in a new environment that's unlike, I mean, gosh darn, it better be unlike anything you've been around. Uh, <laughs> so, some parents can be real drill sergeants yeah. though, right? <laughs> but 
you take people out of those environments and put them in a place where all the cues are different. And it can be really disconcerting because people look to the environment for those emotional cues that things are okay. I feel all right. But you push through that and a new normal starts to, to set in place. But the important thing is those old habits don't necessarily get triggered by the environment. And that can be helpful for sustaining that success, which, which leads us to the stage five, which is maintenance or monitoring. Mm-hmm. Right. And so this ties back to that whole idea of monitoring your progress that we already talked about, that it's helpful to uh, help us, you know, increase the probability that we're actually going to attain a goal if we monitor our progress along the way. So it's important for people in this stage to, you know, they've already changed their behavior. It's important to be aware of those different things that may tempt you to slip back into those old habits uh, and try to avoid those different situations. Also continuing to seek support from the people around you and finding, you know, additional ways to remember how those um, healthy activities are, are beneficial for you. Yeah. And for me, I always think the old ways are always there, right? Right. Um, you know, this isn't out of the literature. This is just my personal um, way of moving forward in this. Those old ways are always there. So I need to strengthen the new ways continually and and not grow weary in doing good in those new habits. Right, right. So I think that kind of moves us to this whole idea of, um, you know, how we can create new habits. And, you know, I guess before we move there, it's important to remember that this whole trans theoretical model, this is just some different ways of thinking about approaching change. Um, You know, sometimes the steps may not be clear or happen in that order, but uh, they can be helpful in helping us to create some new habits. So I think maybe we could turn our attention now to that whole idea of habits. Yeah. Let me, let me say one more thing about models. So we use models as consultants all the time. And all the models are correct, uh, and all of them are wrong. Well, actually, some of them are just wrong, flat out wrong. <laughs> but you know, typical criticisms of models like this are, oh, well, they're not distinct stages, or you know, you might revert back to some. All of that stuff. One of the things that we find is it just helps to clarify your thinking. So if you want to mm-hmm. move forward on something, it's nice to just have something that that can help clarify in your mind kind of how you're going to go about doing this. So just right. wanted to say that out there. And um, so how to create new habits. So Ben, what is a habit? Sure. So uh, there, there's some, a lot of literature out there. A lot of research has been done on habits and uh, you know, we came across a really great review of all this literature and we'll post a link to this in the show notes as well. Uh, and you know, the way that they describe what a habit is, is that these are automatic responses that we have. These are things that we learn, um, usually over the course of a long time. And these are activated in our memory. So we remember something, uh, and then in a rather automatic or autonomous fashion, we do it. Um, it's not something that we have to really think about uh, to a great degree. We don't. It doesn't require us to make some really hard decisions and spend a lot of time and deep thought about it. Um, we just kind of do them. Because that's that's what we do, you know. We, um, you know, we maybe you know work out because that's just what we do in the morning, right? And it happens at the certain time in a certain place and so forth. And uh, so that's what a habit is: these learned automatic responses. And uh, you know, when we talked earlier about goals, goals are very important. 
um, you know, this whole system of goals that you may have, because these are important if you're trying to form habits, if you're trying to create some habits. Uh, it's interesting. There's a, you know, I thought because I am interested in things around strength training and whatnot, I read a, a decent amount of, of stuff related to that. And, you know, one idea, I can't remember who it was who came up with this one, but one of the people I follow said, you know, it's really important to become a slave to good habits, right? So find, make some good goals, have those good habits, and then really, you know, be very committed to them so that they become part of who you are. So you have these goals that create the, the motivation for habits, um, give us a direction for our new behavior. And then it's really important to, to realize that in order for a, a behavior to become a habit, it has to be repeated, right? It has, this, is gonna, this is not an event. <laughs> this is a this is a process, right? And you know, a, it's kind of silly example I sometimes use when I'm talking to my students and stuff is, you know, uh, imagine you know your morning routine. If you had to just for whatever reason brush your teeth with your non-dominant hand. Like, so I'm right-handed. If I had to like brush my teeth with my left hand, and sometimes I've tried this, right? It's, it's really awkward and it requires a lot more cognitive effort and attention because it's so automatic for me to, to do that with my right hand versus my left. Um, so in order for that to be a habit, you have to practice it. It has to be something that you repeat uh, for quite a while for it to actually become uh, uh, habitual. Yeah, and I think this is just the difference in the intentional life versus the accidental life. Now, mm. most people are not ambidextrous, right? So, mm -hmm. it, you know, if you're right-hand dominant, you're just going to start, you know, when your parents or guardian hand you a toothbrush, they're going to say, brush your teeth. You're going to grab that with your dominant hand and start developing a habit that's more natural to you. Right. But if... If anybody has or been around kids, what's natural to them in this day and age is, I don't know, rocking out on the iPad for a thousand hours a day, <laughs> right? And, and you know, uh, when, that's why we don't allow children to raise themselves because right. their habitual response is going to be suboptimized to growing up and being somebody um, that contributes to the broader world or hat flourishes themselves. Right. Mm -hmm. And so you have to have this goal system that exists because that baseline habitual response is generally not optimized. So, and we see this in executives that we coach, um, the way that they manage people generally for a lot of them is just a habitual response based on, right environmental cues that they're not deliberate with becoming a better manager, um, deliberate with understanding what the research and the body of science around organizations, leadership, all that kind of stuff is involved. And so they just have a habitual response, which means they need goals. We need goals on what we're going to do. And if you want to make better goals, you're going to do a little bit more research and take a look at, okay, what, it, what would be a good goal for me to have rather than even habituizing, uh, habitualizing your goal setting, right? Right. Yes. And I love what you say there and you know, bringing this idea around the, um, the living the intentional life and living the examined life, right? If, we're, if you're deeply trying to change something about yourself or trying to increasingly improve yourself, and maybe the new year is a good time to do that, or maybe if you have a resolution, do it now you know, cause we hate to wait. Um, but, 
being intentional about and being very honest with yourself about what you're doing, why you're doing it, and how it's productive or not productive in your life, I think is is really important. And, you know, this goes, this is not in a new idea. You know, um, I think one of the uh, people who said it best was Henry David Thoreau in, in his uh, essay on Walden Pond, where he's talking about, you know, I went into the woods to live deliberately, you know? Yeah, except and, he was uh, deliberately mooching off his mom. And <laughs> so we just, we hey, know don't, the, don't, don't mess with my nice idea. So, yes, exactly. So the actual um, story is different than the canonical <laughs> thoughts around this. We, we know that, right. but, exactly. but it's a good idea, actually. It is, it is, it is, right. And it's this idea that you are having intention around what you're doing and you're not just kind of going through um, the motions every day. Right. And you're intentionally trying to create new habits that are helpful for you and get rid of some of those habits that are that are not helpful for you. Right. So so what are some things we can do to kind of interdict our you know, we always talk about, you know, a book we like to use with people is the chimp paradox, which we'll put Mm -hmm. a link link to in the show notes. But, you know, we all have this inner monkey that, you know, wants to do things just on whatever base habit urges, so to speak. But if we want to interdict that inner chimp, what, what are some ways we can, can move forward there? Right. And I think a powerful way to do that, and this is something that they talk about, you know, let's talk about in that book, the chimp paradox is changing the script that you tell yourself. Right. And he, and the way it's referred to in that book is, you know, you have the chimp and you have, which is like your emotions and so forth, the laws of the jungle, uh, that's controlling parts of your behavior. And then you have the human, which is the more rational part. And then you have the computer, which is in between those that that's, uh, that can be used to, um, change some of that autopilot stuff that we have. So for example, you know, I used to be, this is probably a decade and a half ago. I used to be some, someone who would repeatedly use the snooze on my alarm clock. And I wanted to change that because I found that it wasn't helpful. Uh, it, you know, made me get up later than I wanted to. And to be honest, like those few minutes of sleep weren't actually useful, you know, cause right. I, even if, it, you know, even if it was, uh, you know, 20 minutes or something, that's not actually, it's kind of fitful sleep at that point anyway, because you've already been awakened. Uh, and so, you know, changing the script in my mind was more around, okay, you know, well, first of all, I did some behavioral things where I took the alarm clock and I moved it away from arm's reach, right? So <laughs> it was, it wasn't, I couldn't reach it. I had to get up out of bed. Um, but also I, I started thinking in a different way saying, okay, as soon as that alarm clock goes off, you know, it's one, two, three feet of the floor, you know, and, uh, that, that started to help me to change that script in my mind. And so sometimes, and this comes again from that review article on habits that we'll post a link to, um, you know, in order to, to, to stop doing something to, you know, these are about interventions to impede that unwanted habit to stop a habit. You need to introduce some obstacles, um, be it a physical one, like moving that alarm clock to the other side of the room or, and, or thinking, thinking in different ways, thinking, don't do it trying to substitute something, changing the environment that can, those are helpful ways for us to start to change our habits. Um, you know, I've noticed, for example, you know, if you, uh, when I've being in the military, when I've deployed, I found that those are oftentimes, you know, really interesting times to do some self-experimentation with regard to things like diet and exercise. Cause you're in this kind of contained environment and, uh, that environment can be very powerful for helping you to change some of those habits. 
Yeah, you know, being out in the desert, uh, we both met each other in Afghanistan. I definitely used that to spur some reading that I'd kind of been avoiding doing, um, you know, based on personal contemplation and some mindfulness stuff. Mm. Um, So when you're in a different place, you can actually use that as a leverage because you're not getting those uh, environmental cues to bring new habits in. Um, right. Some of that stuff like outward bound programs, uh, basic training has that. Um, another thing to do is, you know, like we talked about before is keep, be mindful that electronic reminders and the gamification, you know, we can all read stuff about that. That may avoid you from really doing that deep internal work that can help you develop those new habits. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's a good point to remember. And another key way that we can stop some of the unwanted habits in our lives is by tying them to some naturally occurring changes that we have in our life. So, for example, if you are moving somewhere, if you're starting a new job, uh, you can use those psychologically to um, and physically to, you know, be in a different environment to reduce exposure to, um, you know, some of those old habits, some of those triggering cues that maybe got you into those old habits. So for example, if you're graduating from college or if you're changing your job, um, moving to a new city, you know, okay, I'm going to be really intentional about the types of people that I hang out with and the types of things that I do so that I can sustain this new habit or stop this old habit. Those are helpful things to be thinking about as well. Excellent, Ben. Well, should we should we wrap up? I think we can. So, you know, uh, today in the podcast, this was New Year, New You, New Habits, and so forth. Uh, you know, I, we talked about this idea of New Year's resolutions, whether or not you should make them. Uh, I think it can be helpful for you. Uh, I think we all have habits that we can we can change. Um, maybe some habits we can get rid of. We talked about goal setting and what works, and we talked a little bit about these these ideas around habits and how we can change our habits, how we can get rid of those old ones, and how we can create new ones that are going to help us flourish in our lives and live more intentionally. Right. And we hope that all of our listeners will take this and start moving to the more intentioned life, a life that they want to have that's well lived. Thanks for listening to the Indigo Podcast. If you like this podcast, please consider helping us by rating us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen telling your friends about us, having us on your podcast, or mentioning us on social media. Our website is www.indigopodcast.com, where you can access more information about us and this episode. Thanks again, and we look forward to talking with you again soon.